grab your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of 1 Peter. We are in week three of an eight-week study through this book written by Peter. Peter was part of Jesus' inner circle, his inner triangle, along with James and John. They were uh, the closest confidants of Jesus. But this is written three decades after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, probably mid-60s A.D. is the best guess. And the persecution of Christians has really become rampant throughout the Roman Empire. It's a different world in many ways when Peter first started in ministry in the days and weeks and months following the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And the reason he wrote this book, the big idea is the challenge to stand firm in the midst of suffering and to live holy lives. And two weeks ago, week one of our study, we just looked at the first seven verses of 1 Peter chapter 1, and the big takeaway was we should praise God for an incredible gift that he has given us. It's the gift of new birth. It's the gift of a living hope, a real hope, a realized hope. Last week, we looked at four verses in the middle of chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. And because of what we learned week 1, this great gift, this living hope, we're encouraged by Peter to be holy to live lives that look like Jesus. And if you weren't here last week, we'll never make it. I'll never be perfect. You'll never be perfect. We'll never reach the level of Jesus. But we should strive to be more and more like him every day that we live our lives. And even begin to pray for opportunities to look more like Jesus in, in the workplace, at the basketball games that we go to, in the social settings that we are a part of. How can we be more like Jesus? Today, we're going to skip a bunch of 1 Peter, and I'm going to connect the dots in just a moment, but we're going to land in chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. And the big takeaway this morning, if you don't get anything else, you were up late, you're worried about the freezing temperatures that are coming, whatever it may be, hear this, the big takeaway is this, you are the very people of God. You and me, we are the very people people of God. So how do we get from chapter 1 verse 17 to chapter 2 verse 8? I want to give you four connecting verses, four big ideas. They could all be sermons in themselves. We could have like an 18-week study through the book of 1 Peter. We're not going to do that. But in between where we left off last week and where we're going to be this week, see these teachings. The first thing is that in verse 17 we're reminded that we are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Colin asked the question this morning, why do we do communion every week? Why is it something that the independent Christian church and, and other churches have decided that we want to do communion every week? We never want to lose sight of the fact that the gift that we have from God was at the expense of the perfect one. We're redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. In verse 22, I love this verse. I don't practice it in my life nearly enough. We're called to love one another deeply from the heart. That could be a sermon all in itself. How do we love one another deeply from the heart? I'm always amazed when I meet people that think near biblical knowledge is enough. That if I just know more, I can live in a vacuum, I can do my own thing, and I don't ever have to talk to anybody, I don't ever have to rub shoulders with anybody. We are called to love one another deeply and not love the people that we like or that are like us or that we get along with. But love one another deeply from the heart. 
the beginning of chapter 2, we're encouraged to crave pure spiritual milk so that we can grow up in our salvation. Crave pure spiritual milk. If the only growth you're getting, spiritually speaking, takes place on Sunday mornings at 8.15, you are selling yourself short. You're going to hear a great opportunity at the end of our service today where, where you can learn more about the Old Testament than you ever possibly thought you could know starting next week. It's a program that is nationwide, really worldwide. People pay a significant amount of money to be a part of it, and First Christian Church is offering this to you at no charge starting next week during the Bible School Hour. And for some of us, that's a way to begin craving pure spiritual milk, growing up in our salvation. And then finally, Peter tells us that we are being built into a spiritual house. I skipped over verses 4 through 8, and I wrestled, should I skip over it or should I throw it in? Um, all of that talk is about how we are being built into being living stones. We're being built into a spiritual house. That's an important teaching. So what about our text for the day? Four verses. I want to keep it as simple as possible. Verses 9 through 12. I think it's page 1201 in your pew Bible. Let's read these verses together and see what we can take away from 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. Peter writes, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. The word of the Lord, 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 12. On your handout, we've got a little group participation, and I know 815 Service loves this so much. I know you woke up this morning saying, I'm hoping for group participation. I want you to take time right now and write down five descriptions or definitions of you. Go. And if you need help, you can ask your neighbor to help you. If you're not sure of how you would describe yourself or define yourself, go. Five descriptions, five definitions of you. Who are you? I thought about playing that song, Who Are You? By the, I think it's the who, but I decided, I don't think so. Should I hum it? Probably not, right now. I won't do it. I won't do it. Who are you? And this is always dangerous when I ask questions like this, but I'm going to ask for some of you to belt out in a big, booming, Ernie Harvey-like voice, just belt it out, one thing that defines or describes you. Go. I heard someone say, I am a child of God. I am stubborn, okay? I think a lot of people could put that down. What's that? Okay, I didn't get that, but someone did, I'm sure. I am colorblind, okay? So do you like my red sweater? I am, I am funny, okay? Some of you could say, to define or describe yourself, I am a 
Harold, or I am a Cain, or I am a Weichel, or I am a Smith, or I am a Jones. And just saying that defines you in some ways more than others, depending on who you're talking to. But just by saying that, when, when I'm around people in Champaign-Urbana and I say I'm a tailor, for some people, they immediately register with my father or with my mother. Some of you could say, I am a Cardinal fan, or I am a Cub fan, or I am a Bears fan, or I am a Seahawks fan. Hopefully nobody's saying that, but you could go down that road and that would define who you are. And right away, people would either really like you a whole lot, or or they might kind of snarl at you a little bit. When I say I'm a Cub fan, you'd be surprised the looks I get from some people. I didn't think J.D. was ever going to talk to me when I came here, when I said, I am a Cub fan. For some of us, we could say something along the lines of, I am a teacher, or I am a laborer, or I am an accountant, or I am some other profession, and that will define you in, in many ways. What about spiritually speaking? How would you define yourself? Some of you might say, I am a rookie. This is all brand new for me. Or I am a veteran. I've been around the church. I've been around the Bible all of my life. I know an awful lot about God's Word. Peter does us a great service by giving us four definitions, four takeaways to help us understand our identity. And the takeaway that I think is most important this morning is this. You are. That's what he says. First and foremost, you are. And then he gives us four words. Four descriptions. He says, you are a chosen people. You are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a people belonging to God. Chosen people. Holy nation. Royal priesthood. A people belonging to God. Now, we study this and we nod. We say, okay. This probably isn't new information for many of us if we've been around the church for many years. But as Peter writes this in mid-60s A.D., this was revolutionary for some. See, if you were a first century follower of Jesus Christ of of a Gentile background, that basically means you were not a Jew. More than likely, there was at least someone that you had encountered that had made you feel like you were an outsider. You weren't quite as good as they were. I've lived in the geo center of Illinois for almost 15 years. Chestnut, Illinois. Population 300, which I really think it's smaller than that, but it doesn't really matter. And for some people, 15 years, that's a pretty long time. But for some people, I'm always going to be an outsider because I wasn't born there. And my parents weren't born there. And my grandparents weren't born there. Maybe you've experienced that where you live. If you live in Clinton or someplace else. You've been around for a while, but you're still not one of them. And I think it's very possible that as first century Christ followers gathered in the midst of persecution, there were some of them that didn't feel like they were completely in in the group. They were completely in. There were some that maybe were of a Jewish heritage that had the idea that we're a little closer to God than you are. And Peter drives home this point. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people who belong to God. I hope that if you're hearing this message and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you never have that outsider mentality when it comes to your spiritual life, to who you are. You're a child of God. 
You're God's chosen. God greatly desires a personal relationship with you. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, can I challenge you to accept that call and to say, I want to be a part of the chosen. I want to be a part of the holy nation. I want to be a part of the royal priesthood. I want to be a, a people, a person that belongs to God himself. How do we identify ourselves as Christ followers? First and foremost, you are. Secondly, we weren't always. We weren't always. Look at verse 10. Peter says, once you were not a people. Once you had not received mercy. He reminds Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians alike that this wasn't always the case. This wasn't always the way that it was. There was a time when if you were a Gentile, you were an outsider. You weren't part of the club. You weren't part of the chosen. And he shares this not to discourage them, but to encourage them. Once you, you had not received mercy. Once you were not a people that had hope. But now you can have hope. Now you can live in the blessing of being God's chosen we weren't always number three take away sin is real it's a big deal sin is real it's a big deal yes i know it rhymes sometimes you just go with it here's what he says dear friends i urge you i implore you i beg you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires because they war against your soul. Very first week that we were in this study, January 12th, one of our takeaways is that this world is not our home. We are strangers. We are aliens. We're only here for a while. And Peter's reinforcing that idea. This world is not your home. So because of that, Peter says, abstain from sinful desires. They war against your soul. I am told that preaching in 2014 is a lot different than preaching was maybe 50 years ago or 60 years ago or 70 years ago or even 100 years ago. Kent, what was preaching like 100 years ago? Do you know? Oh man, I can't believe I did that. That was wrong, wasn't it? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He's leaving now. No, I'm kidding. I'm told that at one time there was a real pound the pulpit, stomp on the toes, preach against sin, hell, fire, and damnation, Sunday in and Sunday out. And I don't think that's where we'll be here at FCC, Sunday in and Sunday out. But I would say if I have a criticism of modern day preaching, if I have a criticism of my preaching, we don't talk about sin enough. We don't talk about the devastating damage that sin can do in your life. And every person that's here right now, I don't care how young you are, I don't care how old you are, there is some sin that could destroy you, and it could destroy you soon if you're not careful, if you're not diligent. A lot of times we think about the really big sins. I think the sin of envy is just devastatingly difficult on Christians in 2014. I think the sin of gossip has destroyed more relationships than, than we could ever measure. And so Peter drives home. 
Sin's a big deal. Sin is real. So be diligent. And then takeaway number four from our text, as a result of all of this, Peter begs us, Peter implores us to make an impact with the lives that we live. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Um, It's really easy to take pot shots at followers of Jesus Christ. And, and some of you have heard that. Some of you have come to me and have said, you, don't, you won't believe what my coworkers say about Christians, or you won't believe what my neighbors say about this church, or you won't believe what people say about me because I've, I've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And, and you know, I could share with you the whole sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We all know that's not true. That hurts. Words hurt. You've been hurt by words. I've been hurt by words. Words cut. What Peter says here is, don't get in a battle. Don't get in a fight. Don't even feel like you need to have a debate. Just live really good lives honoring my Father in heaven. Just live lives that are so extreme. They are so positive. They are so uplifting that the crowds will have no other choice to say, wow, they are different. God the Father must make all the difference in the world. Live such good lives. Well, that's our text. I want to leave you this morning with three challenges. And you've noticed every week I've tried to leave you with three challenges. This isn't just some homiletical outline formula that I found on the internet. And I'm just pl- I really want you to start assessing your life. I really want you to look at where you're at and where you could be going and maybe a change that you need to make. Something that you could do different. That would make all the difference in the world for you. And number one is this. First challenge, never lose sight of this fact. You are God's chosen. You are a child of God. If you're struggling with low self-esteem, and you know, we think that's a teenager thing, it's a, you know, a 16-year-old girl kind of thing, let's be honest. A lot of adult Christians struggle with self-esteem. Never forget You are God's chosen. God the Father loves you. You are a child of the King. Challenge number two, take the power of sin seriously. Take the power of sin seriously. You know, when when someone preaches on one of the really bad sins, a lot of times, you know, People will really take note, and they'll kind of take notes and, and say, good sermon, pastor. But, you know, when I preach a sermon on, on the, the power of greed or the sin of greed, I don't know that I've ever had someone come up and say, pat me on the back and say, man, that's just a great sermon on greed. Or that was a great sermon on envy. Or that was a great sermon on forgiveness. Because we cut ourselves so much slack. We say, well, greed, that's somebody else's issue. Envy? Of course not. Who would I be envious of? Forgiveness, of course, I'll always forgive. Take seriously the power of sin in your life. The power that it has, the stranglehold that it has. Kyle, I want you just to skip a slide and go to James chapter 1. Let me talk to you about the power of the downward spiral of sin in James chapter 1. It says, when one is tempted, no one should say, God's tempting me. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and he's enticed. 
And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. And, and catch verse 16 here. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. If you read James chapter 1 and you say, wow, sin is really a big deal. I'm sorry that some people struggle with that. You are being deceived. Everybody here needs to take seriously the power, the stranglehold, the awfulness that sin can have in your life. I'm not sharing that with you to make you feel bad. I'm sharing that with you so you'll be aware. You'll be vigilant. Some of you probably know if you have a weather app on your smartphone or if you've watched the news, we've got more really bad weather coming our way. Praise the Lord, right? Awful temperatures, wind chill advisory. When my phone blows up and there's the little red thing, you know it's really bad. And this morning, there's a little red thing starting, you know, at midnight tonight. I don't ever look at that and say, eh, it could be bad. Maybe it's not going to arrive. Eh, who cares? Then go out in shorts and flip-flops. I don't do that. Because I'm being warned that serious danger is just around the corner. I think sometimes when it comes to sin, passages like James 1, passages like Galatians 5, look it up this week, we just say, eh, no big deal. Eh, it doesn't really affect me. Take seriously the power of sin. And then finally, pro probably my most important challenge for you today is this, make a difference with your life today. Make a difference with your life today. And I can't tell you what that looks like. I can't say, here's the program from page 37 of this great book that, that's going to really make all the difference for you. Maybe we pray the prayer, Lord, what can I do? What can I change? What can I start? What can I stop that will greater influence my impact with others for you today? What can I do? Some really cool things that have started to unfold around here. You, you can read about them in your bulletin. You read about them in your K. Outside the box, I don't even know that I would necessarily say it's a strategic ministry opportunity as much as it's an um, outside-the-box ministry opportunity. To reach out to people, to encourage people, to bring people together. For a common good. I'll give you one example. A week and a half ago, the FCA of Clinton, Illinois, hosted a coach's night, a coach's thank you night. And a dinner was provided, and the high school coaches were invited along with their spouses. And something like 35 to 40 of our high school coaches and their spouses came and they gathered. And Rob Judson, who I used to like until he went to work for Indiana basketball, was our, our main speaker that night. It was an awesome awesome night. That probably won't make it into the annual report. That probably doesn't even fit into any of our specific ministry codes for when we go to pay bills or anything along those lines. But there were people that were gathered together for a supper and heard Rob Judson preach a message from the Bible that probably had not been in church for a long time. I, I won't even speculate how long. That's living such good lives. That's making a difference today. That's saying, what could we do that's outside the box? And that came about 
Because one of our members, Lindsay Moody, had an idea and said, what do you think? And I'm telling you, you could do the same thing. How could your life, how could your circle of influence make a difference today? My bottom line for you will sound familiar to some of you. See if you can pick it up. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. That's the encouragement of Jesus Christ from the New Living Translation right after he got done challenging you and me to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Let your good deeds shine out for everyone to see. So God, your Father, will be glorified. Let's pray. God, thanks for today and another chance to look at your word and a chance to look at our lives and what we're doing well and what we need to do better. And it's my prayer that we will always be a a group of believers, a body of believers, a church that, that is never complacent with who we are today. We're never content to say, we've got enough people. We're never happy with where we are. But we're always striving to impact lives for Jesus Christ and for your glory. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.